Hey, I'm Austin, and welcome to the Valley Point Podcast. This week kicks off our three-week teaching series, Great Aim. Great Aim can be defined as a choice that forever changes the direction of my life. It's a behavior that increases my relational closeness to Jesus. It's an action that increases my dependency on God. Join Valley Point as we investigate some unique, even disturbing stories in Scripture that speak of great aim. And great aim begins. And what better way for us to start this whole experience than the Robin Hood who had and is known for great aim, right? So on the count of three, I want everybody with your best, most robust voice to shout great aim. Ready? One, two, three. Great aim. I think we could do a little bit better. Here we go. One, two, three. Great aim. And I think we're going to have a lot of fun with this experience and this series. And as we walk through this together, I want to begin by letting you know what great aim is not. So we want to have clarity right at the beginning here. So first of all, great aim is not about shooting things. So if you really enjoy that, there's nothing wrong with that. I hope you have fun shooting different things. But great aim, as we talk about it, is not about shooting stuff. That's not our great aim. Great aim is also not about putting a target on people. It's not about getting back at people. It's not about getting even. I actually this week read about a newlywed Massachusetts couple that spent their wedding night in separate jail cells because the bride and the groom thought it would be a good idea to run over with their car an ex-flame of the groom who happened to be at the wedding. I am not making this up. It's a true story, and it lends new meaning to the phrase, here comes the bride. Right? I had to throw that out there. You knew it. So the bride and the groom, on their way from the wedding to the reception, somehow thought it would just be a brilliant and a wonderful idea to run over this other girl. And so they attempted to do that, and the bride was arrested for assault and battery with a deadly weapon, and the groom was arrested for disorderly conduct. And they spent their wedding night in separate jail cells. Not a great way to start your marriage, is it? So we're not talking about running over people. We're not talking about getting back. We're not talking about getting even with our great aim. It's not about that. And our great aim is not about just setting goals and getting organized and managing your time as valuable as all of that is. See, over the next three weeks, we want to think about how great aim can be defined in a very specific way. And so I want to share this definition with you. And you have these blanks in your program. I'd encourage you to take that out, grab a writing utensil or a smart device, and remember this stuff because as we unpack this over the next three weeks, I think it'll be very beneficial for you to know what great aim is all about and what we're specifically trying to think through. So first of all, Great aim is a choice that forever changes the direction of my life. It's a choice. And we all have to make choices all day long. 
And some of those choices devastate us and hurt us. And we wish we could go back in time and take them back, but we can't. Other choices give us the opportunity, though, to have impact in the lives of others and to truly have great aim with our lives. So as we think about great aim, it's a choice that forever changes the direction of my life, but it's not only that. It's also a behavior that increases my relational closeness with Jesus. Like, I'm going to choose to behave this way. I'm going to do this. And as I implement that behavior in my life, it actually helps me get a little bit closer to Jesus. My aim is sharper. I'm on target. So it's a choice, and it's a behavior, but it's also an action that grows my dependency on God. Like, I'm going to begin moving in this direction, and I'm going to step out and take a huge risk for God where I have to be totally dependent and think about him. So it's a choice, it's a behavior, and it's an action. It's a choice that changes the direction of my life. It's a behavior that increases my relational closeness with Jesus, And it's also an action that grows my dependency on God. That's great aim. And when those things begin to line up for us, we're going to be on target, which is exactly where God wants us to be. So let's just pause here as we begin this and ask some questions about our lives. And so you think about you here for just a moment. Do you need a change of direction in your life? I mean, do you need that change of direction? And just be honest with yourself. Are you kind of unhappy with the path that your life journey is taking you on right now? Are you unhappy with habits? Are you unhappy with your career? Are you unhappy with the relationships that surround you? Are you unhappy with your money? Are you unhappy with where you're at spiritually? Do you just kind of sense that there is something missing in life? And you don't exactly know what that is or even how to say it, but you know that you just don't have this great aim. It's just not there. And what about your dependency on God? Do you find yourself having a growing interest in throwing more and more trust on God and leaning into him and depending on him for everything? Or is that not even really a thought at all? All right, so this choice, this behavior, this action, it changes the direction of my life. It grows my dependency on God and it increases my relational closeness to Jesus That all sounds great and wonderful. But we're at the start of a new season here. It's September, and life for many gets very busy, and we get preoccupied with the urgent. We get preoccupied with what's next, or can we make it to the weekend, or can we somehow just hang on and survive until the Thanksgiving break, and then maybe everything will clear a bit. And when we begin to think that way, here's what happens. We get a lot less intentional about the impact of our lives. 
I mean, it's like we can't even think about it because we're just preoccupied with doing the next thing. We're just kind of moving through life and we gotta figure out how do I survive until tomorrow? And I made it there, so what about the next day? And we throw all of these different things at us and we get very preoccupied and we begin to lose some intentionality and our aim is not so great and yet we read things like this. All who have accomplished great things have had a great aim and fixed their gaze on a goal which was high, one which sometimes seemed impossible. And we read that, and if you're anything like me, it kind of just makes you tired, doesn't it? You know, I'd love to have a great aim. I would love to achieve impossible things and set high standards, but there is just so much going on, and we get a little discouraged with that. And when we get discouraged with our aim, we often crawl into a dark place, and our great aim is non-existent. So, maybe it's time just to think about the impossible, Maybe it's time to think about having great aim with our lives. So what would it look like if we made a choice that forever changed the direction of our lives and that choice was centered on something deeply spiritual? Like not other stuff and we have to make other decisions about life and career and friends and all of that, but what if we just got really, really focused and what would it look like if I made a choice and that choice was centered, it was focused on something deeply spiritual that I need to do in my life? What would happen if I took a step of faith with God and handed over every area of my life to him? What would happen? What would that look like if I handed over everything, not just the easy stuff, not just the convenient stuff, but the difficult things on the inside that nobody else knows about and nobody else sees? What if I intentionally handed all of that over to God? What would happen? And what could change if I increased my God-dependency Like I just stepped out into something that only God could get me out of and I understood at that moment that I need to lean into him like never before and so I increased my dependency on him. What could change? You know, here's what I'm convinced of personally. I wanna share my heart with you on this and that is I think when it comes to my friendship with God, I'm too safe too safe and too measured and I like everything to line up and as long as everything lines up and I'm really happy with that and then I step but when there's confusion or when I have to increase my God dependency sometimes there is some hesitation but here's the thing Following Jesus is anything but safe. It's often very dangerous and there should be a growing sense of I need God now. Like, I need God now in my life to push through this or to overcome or to really have some success in life. I need to have great aim. I need to depend on God now. And I don't often feel that way. What about you? Had a really interesting week where 
I got to meet with some people. And you just sense as you talk with them and as you spend some time with them that their God dependency is growing in an enormous way. And I found myself wanting more of that in my own life. But often it's a hard thing to walk through, to get stretched that way. This past week, I had the chance to visit someone who's incarcerated and just talk with them about what's happening in their life and what do they hope for and to watch as the tears just stream down their face because they know they've made some mistakes and they want to make it right and they want to figure that all out and there's this huge God dependency that I've made a wreck and a mess of my life and I found myself listening to this person thinking, I don't know if I feel the same way. I don't know if I'm as dependent on God as this individual who has kind of made a mess of their life and they're trying to figure that out and their world is on fire but yet very dependent. They're there. This past week, I also had the chance to visit a family in our church. And they're in the hospital again because their teenage son, his leukemia is back again, just invading his body. And to look at them and to see tears and pain and frustration and even some anger at what is happening, but yet to see them be so dependent on what God might be able to do in the life of their son and how God can use this story to touch the lives of others. And I found myself looking at them saying, I don't think I'm that dependent. I'm just not there. And I don't think most of us want that stuff. We don't ask for that. We don't invite that in. But there is something so vulnerable about being dependent on God that puts us in a beautiful place that gives us a shot at great aim. Great aim. And so over the next few weeks, here's what we're going to do. We're going to investigate some very unique stories in Scripture that speak of having great aim, and I think all of that is going to sharpen us and grow our dependency on God. Now, let me tell you a little bit about these stories before we jump in. They're shocking. I mean, they are somewhat different. They are hard to understand because they're very, very unique, and that's each story throughout this series, and they're even disturbing a bit. Like, you read this and you scratch your head and say, what's happening here? What is going on? But we're going to discover that they're truth and that God has given them to us so that we can grab some application and have great aim with our lives. So today, we're going to walk through a story in Judges chapter 3. And here's our big idea. It's aim for rescuing. With your life, aim for rescuing. And what's rescuing? Well, it's using your life. It's using my life to point other people to a rescuing God. So Judges chapter 3, there's some interesting things that are happening there. And we find God's people, God's special people, the ones that he loves and he cares deeply for in trouble. And they're kind of rebelling against God. And it's just not a matter of, 
we're not going to do what God wants or we're going to kind of forget about God. I mean, they turned their backs on God and went in a complete different direction, a direction that said, we don't want God, we don't care about God, we're going to rebel, we do not need him. And so what would often happen in these situations is that God would bring in another country and they would invade his chosen people and they would take them away as captives and God would use that pressure to help them look up and say, all right, we've rebelled We don't like the way that we're living now. We don't like being slaves. So we're going to confess. We're going to repent. And hopefully God will pick us up again and he'll free us so we can live our own way one more time, being obedient to God. And so that's exactly what's happening in Judges chapter 3. The people have rebelled. They've turned their backs on God. God has brought in another country to invade them. And here's what we find in verse 15. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, the Lord again raised up a rescuer to save them. His name was Ahad, son of Gera, a left-handed man from the tribe of Benjamin. Now, how many lefties do we have in the room? All right, here's all the southpaws. Keep your hands up. You know, you guys are frustrating to eat next to. You know that, don't you? You really are, but hey, be encouraged because there's a whole story in the Bible about left-handed people. And this was kind of seen as a negative thing back in the day in this culture. It was actually a disability. And so we're gonna have this wonderful story about God using a left-handed man. So be encouraged. This is kind of your thing. It's your story, the story of Ahud, a guy who's left-handed. So the Israelites, they sent Ahud to deliver their tribute money to King Eglon of Moab, This is the enemy king who had invaded them, and he's a terrible guy. So Ahud made a double-edged dagger that was about a foot long, and he strapped it to his right thigh, keeping it hidden under his clothing. And he brought the tribute money to Eglon. After delivering the payment, Ahud started home with those who had helped carry the tribute. But when Ahud reached the stone idols near Gilgal, he turned back, He came to Eglon the king and said, I have a secret message for you. So the king commanded his servants, be quiet. And then he sent them all out of the room, like this is gonna be a secret and it's gonna be about me and I'm excited about this, so let's hear the secret. So Ahud walked over to Eglon, who was sitting alone in a cool upstairs room, and Ahud said, I have a message from God for you. And as King Eglon rose from his seat, Ahud reached with his left hand, pulled out the dagger, strapped his right thigh, and plunged it into the king's belly. Great aim, right? There it is. So the dagger went so deep, though, that the handle disappeared beneath the king's fat. So Ahud did not pull out the dagger, and then the king's bowels emptied. So he's kind of in trouble here. And then Ahud closed and locked the doors of the room and escaped down the latrine, which is a bathroom. So after Ahud was gone, the king's servants returned and they found the doors to the upstairs room locked. They thought he might be using the latrine in the room. They, they thought he was going to the bathroom. We'll give him some privacy. So they waited. But when the king didn't come out after a long delay, they became concerned And got a key. And when they opened the doors, they found their master dead 
on the floor. So, this is the story of Ahud, and it's one that speaks of a rescuer. And who's a rescuer? Well, it's somebody who uses their life to point other people to a rescuing God. And this is what Ahab does for his people. And uniquely, God uses a left-handed man, somebody who really shouldn't have been used according to their customs and the way they did things in this culture. But yet God used this individual to usher in 80 years of peace in a stressed out, tension-filled finger-pointing, vein-popping, hate-dominated culture. That's Ahud. He's kind of a unique individual, and this is a crazy story about how God raises up rescuers. So that's all good. We've got the story, we've got a left-handed man, we have a bad king, and he's no longer around. So what does this mean for us? Like, what do we do with this Today, because hopefully we're not involved in these kinds of activities. But what we're going to try to pull out of this is how God wants all of us to aim for rescuing with our lives. So here's some takeaways for all of us. First of all, God always responds to the cry of repentance. I want to say that again. God always responds to the cry of of repentance, always, like without fail, again and again and again, time after time after time. You walk through the pages of scripture and you just find that God is always responding to the cry of repentance. Look at verse 15 again. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, the Lord again raised up a rescuer to save them. You know, maybe this is you. Maybe you kind of have been running from God because you're angry with him or frustrated because God hasn't responded in a certain way or things haven't worked out for you or your prayer hasn't been answered exactly the way you wanted it and so you're frustrated and you're angry and you're disappointed with God Or maybe you're here and you don't even like God. Like, I'm not even crazy about the guy. You don't even like him, but yet you're here. And so I want to say to all of you who are frustrated or angry or disappointed or you don't even like God, whatever your emotion is toward him right now, I want you to know this. God's feelings toward you never change. And he always responds. He just always responds to the cry of repentance. You know, his own people abandoned him here. They walked away from him, forgot about him, but yet God responds to their cry and he raises up a rescuer and maybe this is where you're at. Maybe you need to hear today that God will do the same for you. And in your life, maybe a bomb has gone off or maybe there's all kinds of turmoil and restlessness in your friendship with God and your friendship with other people. Then just know, maybe it's time for you to cry out to God. Are you ready to cry? Because God always responds to the cry 
of repentance. And maybe that's the step that you need to take. You know, in order to be a rescuer, we first must be rescued ourselves by God through the work of Christ on the cross. And maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe you need to trust in him alone for the very first time and embrace his leadership and his forgiveness today. Just know that God always responds, always. He always responds to the cry of repentance. And that's great news for all of us. It's a good thing. Here's the second takeaway. You are unique. You're unique, so embrace it and stop hiding. God can and wants to specifically use your life to rescue So whether you're left-handed or whatever else we want to talk about as being unique, that's you. All of us are unique. Embrace that. Don't hide that anymore and know that God can and wants to use your life to rescue other people. So what happens with the rest of the story? If you look at verse 26, it says, while the servants were waiting, Ahud escaped, passing the stone idols on his way to Sarah. And when he arrived in the hill country of Ephraim, Ahud sounded a call to arms. Then he led a band of Israelites down from the hills. Follow me, he said, for the Lord has given you victory over Moab, your enemy. And so they followed him. And the Israelites took control of the shallow crossings of the Jordan River across from Moab, preventing anyone from crossing. So Moab, the enemy, was conquered by Israel that day, and there was peace in the land for 80 years. 80 years. 80 years is a long time, all because of a left-handed guy. Now, there is no doubt when God came to Ahud and said, look, I've got a plan for you. You're gonna be the rescuer of my people. That Ahud probably started a little dialogue with God that sounded something like this. Uh, God, have you forgotten that I'm left-handed? Like, I'm disabled, I can't do this, I'm not strong enough, I'm not whatever, you're gonna have to find somebody else. Thanks for the offer, appreciate it, I'm glad you're thinking about me, but this is for somebody else because I've got this whole left-handed thing going on. Well, there's no doubt that God didn't let him out of that because we discover here that Ahad does the rescuing You know what I found is that often I like to make excuses about what God can't do through me. Like sometimes you get these little whispers about do this, attempt this, say this, have this conversation, extend this type of invite, and you hear that in your life, and I love to put my arms up and say, you know, here's the excuses as to why I can't do that. Perhaps there's somebody else who can pull this off, who's smarter, better, stronger, whatever the case might be. And I think that way a lot, and maybe you do the same thing. Just know that when we begin to make excuses of what God can't do through us, we miss out. We miss out on a whole lot. 
And if Ahud would have bailed, God would have raised up another rescuer, but Ahud is the one who gets used with his uniqueness and God allows his life to be one that compassionately rescues other people and he points his own people back to God and he ushers in this 80 years of peace. It's really an incredible thing. You know, often the things we hate about ourselves, the disabilities, the uniqueness, the failures. We keep those things hidden, but often those are the very things that God wants to use to rescue the people around us. So what is that thing for you? What is that thing? Are you hiding it? Or are you allowing God to use that to rescue the people around you? Final takeaway. Some conditions call for radical action. They really do. And that's what we discover here. So here's the question. Are you ready to take that kind of radical action in your own life? Whatever God is whispering to you, are you ready to take that kind of action? Ahud was, and his action led to a revival, and he changed a nation Does God want to use you to change a nation? Maybe. Maybe that's what God wants for you. I think the reality is for most of us, that changing, that rescuing is going to start with those who are right around us. It's our family. It's our tribe at work. It's our network. It is the people who are a part of our space. And think about this for just a second. There's probably people who are close to you who desperately need somebody to rescue them. Sometimes we get so busy and we get so preoccupied by just running and doing the next thing that we kind of miss out on this, but there is no doubt that there are people around you who need your rescuing help. And what does that look like? I mean, if we really got engaged in rescuing people, what does that mean? Well, maybe they need your time. Maybe that's it. Maybe they just need a little bit of your time and we have to pause long enough to give that. Maybe they need your life experience and you know you're not perfect and they know that as well, but you've had some experiences in in life that can help other people avoid stepping into a lot of messes and maybe God wants you to rescue the people around you with your life experiences. Maybe they need your correction. And there's just somebody there. Maybe you've been holding back for whatever reason because you don't want to hurt feelings and you don't want to lose a relationship. But maybe they need you to rescue them by correcting them and helping them to establish great aim in their life as well. Maybe they need your friendship with God. And they need you to be the one who explains that in clear ways so they can respond and have that same forever friendship with God that you have. That person is there. That person is around you. And they may not be screaming and yelling for you to rescue them, but they desperately need someone who will compassionately direct them to a God who can rescue their lives. So choose great aim. Choose great aim. 
I mean, as you walk out of here in just a few moments, choose great aim and use your life to rescue people, the people that are around you, the people that God has given to you and to your world. Rescue them and your uniqueness and your quirks and your failures and even your successes. Allow all of that to point people to a rescuing God. Father, we're so thankful for just some time to look at a very unique story in Scripture. And God, what we pull out of this, what we really get is that there are people who are in our world that need to be rescued. God, the challenge is we have to slow down enough. We have to pause enough to hear their cries for help because they are all around us. So God, I pray that you'd help me and I pray that you'd help everybody here to think about who it is that is in their world that needs someone to rescue them by pointing them compassionately to a rescuing God. God, there's probably people in this room who need to be rescued themselves, and so I pray that you'd speak into their hearts right now, encourage them, and for those, God, who have already experienced that, help us to really get a passion for looking around us and choosing to be rescuers like Ahad. I'd like for you to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment. You know, maybe you're here and you're kind of getting for the first time these words are falling on you and your understanding that God always responds to the cries of repentance. Maybe you're ready to take that step and you're ready to respond to God and invite him into your life as your forever friend. You're just ready for that. You want to be rescued by a compassionate God. So I just encourage you, from your heart to God's ears, to say, God, I know that I don't have my whole life together. I know that I have failed. And I want you to rescue me. And I trust in you alone to save me. And I embrace your leadership right now in my life. I want that. And I embrace your forgiveness. Thank you for being my forever friend. That's something that you've just offered up to God for the very first time in your life. I want to let you know that you've been rescued. And God always responds to the cries of those who repent and seek to change and want God in their life. And so I want to encourage you and just say, God will not forget about you. He's got you. You're his. Maybe you're here and you've already taken that step at some point in your life. You sense that God is kind of placing somebody on your mind right now. That's a part of your life and your world and you know it. They need to be rescued. They need some help. They need some encouragement. They need time. They need correction. They need your friendship with God. They need something. 
And God's kind of pushing on you right now that maybe you're the one. You're the one. Will you just take a few seconds and pray for that individual right now and ask God to give you the strength and the courage and the time to help rescue them and establish great aim in their life as you do that in your own life. God, we just come to you and we acknowledge that we're desperate for your help. God, often we don't even recognize that ourselves. So I pray that you'd use today as a reminder to all of us that it's time to raise our God dependency, just to ramp it up a little bit and to think about that and to get really passionate and excited about finding more and more ways to step into things that only you can get us out of. God, we're too safe sometimes, too measured, too perfect. God, shake that out of us. Shake it out of me. Shake that out of Valley Point and help us to look to you with our choices and our behaviors and our actions. And God, I pray that this week there would be a whole energized group of people who are choosing to have great aim with our lives. God, give us the ability to do that now. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for listening. We'd also like to invite you to join us for any of our Sunday gatherings as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 and 11 a.m.